In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, when churches are vacant and looking to call a pastor, the district officials give churches a form and they want them to fill it out. Now, some of you may remember this entire laborious, cumbersome process that you went through to call me to be your pastor. Now, some of these questions on the forms are decent and applicable. Some of these are just a bunch of nonsense, and yet others may be harmful to faith and just wrong. Now, you've heard me talk about this in Bible study before, so I won't get into it now. But these forms ask the congregation what they want and need in a new pastor. I would say that when churches fill out these forms, very, very low on the list, if not in the lowest place, is the request that the pastor be faithful to the Word of God. Now, if I ever accept another call, if I'm ever defrocked or I die, I'm giving you the answer for what you should be looking for in a pastor ahead of time. That is the right answer. When you get this form again, you need a pastor who is faithful to God's Word. That's it. The other things don't matter. His age, his name, his family, his personality, so on. The most important thing is that he is faithful and loyal to the Word of God. Now, I, I could preach an entire sermon on what it means to be faithful to the Word of God, and I think in, uh, in, in other ways I have, uh, but that's not the point of this sermon, at least not the entire point of this sermon. What I'm getting at is this. When churches fill out this survey and form, the congregation almost universally writes down this, that we want a preacher who challenges us to grow in the scriptures and moves us beyond where we are currently. We want to grow in the faith. This is what nearly every congregation says they want, scripturally based confrontational preaching They don't just want to learn new things. They want to grow in ways that they haven't considered before. Now, that, of course, is what most congregations will say until the preacher stands in the pulpit and actually challenges the congregation and confronts them with the Word of God to grow in a way that they weren't considering before. And so the pastor preaches what the Bible says about the Lord's Supper and how only those who are examined by the pastor receive the Lord's Supper and about how God has, hasn't has given women to read the lessons or give and, and distribute the Lord's Supper or about how those who live together before marriage uh, should leave their life of sin and get married. And when the pastor confronts people and tells them that they need to repent of their sins, the ones they have been doing the ones that have been done. And when this happens, then people aren't so happy anymore. They sort of regret what they said they were asking and looking for in a pastor. And all of this is because the pastor is simply preaching the Bible. No one has to try to attempt uh, to make the Bible challenging or confrontational. The Bible is challenging on its own. The word confronts our sinful nature. Okay, today's gospel lesson is no different. This is a text that is challenging in two ways. Now, no one really has a problem with the first part of the text where Jesus says in John chapter 20, peace be with you. But it's the last part of the text that troubles a lot of people. And the first way, 
that it troubles people is when Jesus tells his disciples, now turned into apostles, that is sent ones, he says this, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And here's what that text means for you. Your pastor speaks for Christ and he forgives your sins. Now, people don't like this. Our doubting sinful nature doesn't like this one bit. At the beginning of the service, we have the confession and absolution. And after you confess your sins, I, the pastor, say, In the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when most people hear this, when a good number of Christians who visit us hear this, the first thought that crosses their mind is, well, who does this guy think he is? Who does he think he is to say, I forgive you all your sins? I didn't sin against you. You're not God. You didn't die on the cross. You're a sinner just like everyone else. You have no right to talk in such a way. Now, these thoughts have been around for quite some time. In fact, uh, there's a sermon written by Charles Spurgeon. He was an English Baptist preacher from the 19th century, and he's considered by many Christians to be the prince of preachers. That is, he's one of the most famous preachers ever. And according to many, he preached some of the most powerful sermons, and that is uh, that his speaking skills were just unmatched. He was so eloquent, and he spoke with such power and certainty. It was, it was so great. Well, Spurgeon preached a sermon specifically on this subject titled Confession and Absolution. And in that sermon, he preached this. He said, The idea that any man can give the forgiveness of sins to another person is pure papistical nonsense and blasphemy, and a man who teaches it ought to be condemned. He preached that in a sermon, a very long one. And a lot of people have followed his opinion and now believe the same thing. Now, that's not the surprising thing that people would believe him, uh, even though he didn't really uh, study the words of Scripture that well when it came to this. But what's so so surprising to me is this. He preached this long sermon without ever once dealing with or even attempting to deal with John chapter 20, verse 23 that we have right here in front of us. The red words from the mouth of God himself, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. What else could those words mean besides what they say? Christ himself has achieved the forgiveness of sins for the entire world on the cross through his death. And this same Christ has given his church the responsibility to speak this word, this truth, into the souls of sinful mortals. Je- Jesus hasn't chosen to appear to each and every human being on earth. He doesn't appear to us in our homes, behind locked doors, or in our churches. He doesn't physically manifest himself there. But he, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen to send pastors to preach and proclaim this forgiveness, this absolution, and to bestow this peace upon you. Pastors aren't generating this forgiveness. They're not the cause of this forgiveness. But Christ has sent pastors to proclaim this forgiveness, and preach it in and out of season. Now, for those of you who trust in Christ and in the words of your dear Lord, this is a beautiful 
thing, a great comfort. When the pastor stands before the congregation and says, In the stead and by the command of my Lord, I forgive you all your sins. You can take great comfort in this, knowing that it is as if God himself had just spoken those words. Even more, you can know for certain that your forgiveness doesn't depend upon the worthiness of the pastor, upon the condition of his soul, or upon his good works. The word isn't true because of the pastor. It's true because of God. Your forgiveness depends upon the word of Jesus. And this is what is so great about it. It is not my choice or my decision to announce that grace and forgiveness of your sins. It is God's choice, God's decision to forgive them. I don't wait around and say, look, I feel feel moved. I feel like preaching the gospel today. I feel like announcing grace and forgiveness. So I'm just going to go ahead and do that today. No, whether I feel like it or not, and all pastors are under the authority of God to preach that forgiveness he won on the cross into your ears. We move and we speak on his command. That's the first thing that is challenging to us. God sends pastors to forgive our sins in his stead and we're to submit to them in this regard. And he has given pastors to be his mouth to the world. When you get over yourself and your own reasons and opinions, then you're going to find a great comfort in this. Now, I promised you that there was a second thing that challenges people. A second thing that makes people very uncomfortable. And I would say much more than the first. And it's the second half of Jesus' words. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And then here it is. He goes on saying, now if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And these are tough words. Most Lutherans don't have trouble with the first part, thanks be to God. But it's this next part that many of you start to get uncomfortable. The second part of what Jesus says here is what we in the church call church discipline. And it's upon these two pillars that God has built his entire church upon this foundation, upon the forgiveness of sins and the withholding of forgiveness, upon the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the law, upon the announcement of grace and church discipline. A lot of members are fine with the first part, but not so much the the second part, the church discipline part. And yet, if there is no church discipline, then the church will deteriorate and we will lose our faith altogether. It's on this point, on the church discipline, the part of withholding of forgiveness, that many people get up and leave, that many people oppose the pastor or accuse him of doing something that is wrong, that is hateful, that is unloving, that is bigoted, intolerant, showing favoritism or something along those lines. This is the most challenging part of this text, but it's the practice of church discipline that will actually cause you to grow the most as a Christian, to be a better Christian, to have greater and deeper faith, to grow deeper in your love for God. 
but too many people leave at the first sign of this to grow in this way. They end up leaving in anger, and instead of having their faith grow, it simply withers away and dies. This is what it looks like. What I'm talking about is this. When you commit some sort of sin, when you do some sort of action against God or against your neighbor for others to see, and then the pastor calls you out and says, hey, that's wrong. That's a sin. That is not what God says. That's not what he wants us to do. And you need to repent of that. And then you stubbornly refuse to admit it, to admit your guilt and your fault. And if you refuse to listen and repent of it, then the pastor says this, okay, okay, I don't want to do this, but because I am only a man under the orders of the Almighty God, I must. I am now withholding forgiveness from you. Your sins are bound to you. You cannot eat and partake of the body of Christ or drink his blood for your forgiveness until you repent. The door to the altar is now closed to you. And the door to heaven is now closed to you until you repent. And this is painful. And it's painful for me to see and do. The amount of anxiety and worry and trouble that it causes me as a person is greater than any. And and yet, I am only the unworthy servant of the Lord who must do what he himself commands. So if he says, if God says to withhold forgiveness from the impenitent, from those who don't repent, even if it bothers me, even if it doesn't jive with my feelings, then I would and I am to do what the Lord says, and I would rather die than go against what he has instituted. He knows best. He knows best how to turn sinners from their ways. So, who is the pastor to withhold forgiveness from? Who does he place under church discipline? I'm just going to let scripture speak for itself, and I'm just going to quote to you what the scripture says. Second Chronicles 7.14, When my people turn from their ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us. Proverbs 28.13, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that he will forgive your sins. And here the clearest text of all, Luke chapter 17 verse 3 says, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. The Bible goes on and on about this. Christ has given the pastors of his church to forgive the sins of repentant sinners and to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant as long as they don't repent. Now, I want you to consider the reason that God has commanded his church to do this. It's not out of anger. It's not out of hatred. It's not out of wickedness or malice. 
the withholding of forgiveness is church discipline. So God tells pastors to withhold forgiveness from the impenitent because he loves them and he does not want them to go to hell. Consider what Hebrews chapter 12 says. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there? whom his father does not discipline. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When the pastor places members under church discipline, it is because he loves them. And it is because God loves them. The only reason the pastor withholds forgiveness from the impenitent is so that they would realize the magnitude of their sin and repent and then receive forgiveness. I mean, can you imagine this? Do you you see it now? The reason a pastor withholds forgiveness is to lead the person to plead for the forgiveness of Christ. When the Lord disciplines us, the purpose that he's doing this for is to lead us to him. And in this discipline, this is what God wants you to realize. This is the point. This is what he wants you to say, to come to the conclusion of that the only thing that will alleviate my conscience from this burden, the only thing that will truly bring me peace in the midst of all of my guilt and sin is not my excuses, not my self-justification, not my explanations, not my denial of my sin, not me pointing out other people's sins who seem greater than my own or pretending like it never happened. No, the only thing that will alleviate my conscience and take away the burden of guilt from my soul is if I confess these sins and rely completely upon the forgiveness which Christ the Lord gives. That is the only thing that will give me peace. I am a poor, miserable sinner. But the only thing that can give me true and everlasting peace and joy is the word that the Lord speaks. And when this happens, then you can say confidently, certainly, and surely with all of your heart, As the psalmist says in Psalm 32, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So when the pastor places you, when the pastor speaks to you and says, what you're doing is a sin, When the pastor says, do you want forgiveness for this? When the pastor places you under church discipline, when he calls you to repentance, it's because you have a good pastor and he's simply doing what God commanded. So don't despise that discipline. Learn from it. Grow as a Christian. Grow in your faith deeper. Learn the depth of your sin and learn the great love of your Savior. 
which forgives every sin. And when the pastor proclaims to you then that forgiveness, that absolution, then take comfort in those words and receive them as valid and certain as if Christ, your dear Lord, was speaking those words to you himself. If you're weighed down by your sin right now and you feel the burden of your guilt, repent of it and learn that Christ comes to you in your midst once again. Though you can't see him, he comes and he speaks this word of peace into your ears through my mouth, the mouth of his unworthy servant. Take this word of peace into your soul and cherish it. Rejoice that Christ has blotted out all of your sins. He has already reconciled you with God. He has earned God's grace for you. He has conquered death and hell and the devil for you. Deny yourself and cling to him who loves you more than anything. He is your Savior who has drained the cup of your deserved suffering to the very last drop, who has paid your debt to the very last penny, who has fulfilled the word of God to the very last letter. Let go of your sin and take hold of Christ. With the Lord's nail-pierced hands and scars, with the Lord's empty tomb behind him, he stands before you right now and convinces you that you are no longer in your sins just as much as he is no longer in that grave. Amen. May the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.